Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Kent. My name is Elaine Bowen. I serve as today's worship associate for our worship leader, Mike Havansek, and we are joined um, by an assortment of musicians, including Sarah Smith, our guest accompanist today. Thank you for being with us. We gather as a diverse and inclusive spiritual community that seeks to inspire love, work for justice, and grow in community. No matter your gender, age, socioeconomic status, political affiliations, race or nationality, affectional or sexual orientation, spirituality or beliefs, you are welcome here. We will light the chalice because as Unitarian Universalists, we light a flame within this chalice as a symbol of safety and sanctuary to unite us in worship as a sign of life's beauty and wonder and to remind us of our ongoing search for the light of truth within and among us. Our chalice lighters this morning are Colleen and Lola. Before the sun, before the heat, before we untangle from our sheets, before the summer day unfurls, pretty world, before the paper is dropped at the gate, before the coffee, before Mark and Mike. I have a confession to make. Usually the call to worship comes very easily to me. And actually before I went on vacation, I had it all written in my head and I simply needed to get it down on paper. And it didn't come. I wasn't sure why it didn't come. 
But it wasn't gelling. I went back to what a former minister taught me. We learn by telling our stories. And I thought, well, what stories can I tell? I can tell the story of, as a young adult, never wanting to have children and to be content with being the fairy auntie to all my nieces and nephews. I could talk about having twins with special needs and the challenges that parenting them has brought. I could talk about the years I worked with Head Start with children in Akron and all over Summit County. I could talk about all of those things. And still, it wasn't quite ringing true to me. This past week, I was on the um, Oberlin College campus for a week-long um, church camp with Unitarian Universalists from all over our Central East region. And I had a chance to kind of sit back and watch children play and enjoy each other and just revel in the beauty of that community. And yet I know in our current climate in this country and in the world, that is a little bit of a utopia. And it was, it was a little bit of a break from the reality of the things that are happening on our southern border, things that are happening in downtown Akron, things that are happening all over the world. And I thought to myself, I suppose I could dwell in the despair, but I choose hope. And I choose hope with the wisdom words, not from my experience, but from the experiences of others. A wise poet of past times, you may have heard of him, his name is Carl Sandburg, and he was quite an observer of the human condition and the human spirit. And please, as always, interpret God as you will. He said, a baby is God's opinion that the world should go on. Children are why the world needs to go on. My words. The Bengali philosopher Tagore also said, every child comes with the message that God is not yet discouraged of man. In the spirit of hope, in the spirit of love, and in the spirit of all the beautiful children of the world. Come, let us worship together. Good morning, friends. Today's service is about children and parenting and community. In my experience, having two young children in, the, in my home, I find that Parental love is very different from what you see in movies and television. For example, one time I brought my seven-year-old son with me to one of my doctor's appointments. The uh, 
doctor looked over all the data that the nurses collected on me and she walked sternly into the room and she pointed straight at the body mass index chart. Are you familiar with this chart? It's a grid, it's got colors, it's made by Satan. You know what I'm talking about? And the doctor explained to me that between the previous visit and this particular visit, I had gone from overweight to obese. I turned to my son and I said, high five, I graduated to the next level. Uh, Benny did not share my enthusiasm pointed out that obesity can lead to a host of long-term health problems. <laughs> this must have made an impression on him because uh, for Father's Day that year, he got me a pedometer. <laughs> so you may be familiar with a pedometer, you wear it around and it counts your steps. He also printed out a body mass index chart from the internet and hung it up in our bathroom by the scale. <laughs> I realized that I was becoming sort of a science experiment for my son. He's kind of proud, but part of me definitely wished he would just make a paper mache volcano like everybody else. <laughs> I took that pedometer and I thought about it. One thought I had was to attach it to the cats and let them run around the neighborhood a bit and rack up a bunch of steps for me. Another thought was to attach it to the fender of my car and drive up and down some bumpy streets, see if I could rack up some good numbers that way. But I realized that my son did this out of an act of love and I should honor it that way. So I'd run on the treadmill every morning, I'd walk to and from work, uh, each night after the kids went to bed, I'd go on a long walk through downtown Kent. You know, the nice thing about the walk through Kent is, you know, it's interesting sights. You bump into friends, um, kind of a nice, pleasant walk. And, and if I got thirsty, I could always stop and have a couple of beers. <laughs> I thought I'd really developed the perfect workout routine. But now, this is going to blow your minds, though. I didn't lose any weight. It's a mystery. Don't try to solve it. There's no solution. So finally, my wife came to me and stated that we were going on a date to the gym. That's a lot like when you get your dog all riled up about going on a car ride and then you take it to get fixed. We were met at the door by a muscular young guy with a dragon tattoo on his bicep. He told some really painfully cheesy jokes as he was introducing himself and explaining that he'd be our personal uh, attendant for that uh, workout. Then he said, I'm going to get you pumped up with some music. And he put on John Cougar Mellencamp and Jefferson Starship. And he began singing along atonally with his songs. I thought to myself, throw in a little algebra and a colonoscopy and you'd have all the circles of hell in one place. <laughs> and this stuff costs money. So it's like paying somebody to throw you down a flight of stairs. Dragon bicep guy stood way too close to me while I was working out. He would every now and then blow his coach's whistle, and he would occasionally pat me on the back with misplaced enthusiasm. It would be a bit like if somebody came into the bathroom stall with you and kept patting you on the back and saying, good work, keep going. It was not at all uh, encouraging. But again, I was trying to stay healthy for my kids. It's an act of love. Parenting is a challenge on so many levels. On one level, it's how much physical space gets taken up by childhood. We try to get our kids a lot of uh, wooden toys, but inevitably you end up, your home becomes sort of a storage bin for uh, brightly colored plastic objects that never ever biodegrade. I just picture thousands of years from now, anthropologists digging around in our remains and all that will be left will be those little plastic Fisher-Price cars and houses and things. What will they think of our society? 
They will think we're a race of tiny, overstimulated people with a loyalty to petroleum-based plastic products. I lay awake at night thinking about things like this. And because it takes a lot of space, a lot of objects to have kids, uh, its outings are very much like a moon landing. A lot of planning, a lot of rehearsal, and, and materials needed. For every, the, here's the rule, for every pound of child you're transporting, you need 15 pounds of equipment. You need changes of clothing, snacks, drinks, toys, furniture. It's like, every outing is like Toys R Us meets the Grapes of Wrath. And once you've got the van packed up and you've got the kids strapped in their seats, that's always when the littlest one poops in their diaper. <laughs> sort of a stinky parting gift. Now we use cloth diapers because that's the sort of environmentally sound thing to do. You know what you do when you are in an outing with your kid in the cloth diaper and, and they poop in the diaper? You put it in a little decorative bag and you carry it around all day like a sacred object. So we needed a vehicle that would accommodate this shift in our lives. We need something huge and bulky with terrible rear view visibility and plenty of compartments for white wipe, wet wipes. It was a painful transition to go from my sporty little car to this lumbering behemoth. Owning a minivan is like having an inoperable tumor. You learn to live with it, but you never learn to love it. I always think of our minivan as essentially a metal box full of disappointment. But I've learned a lot from having kids. One of the things I learned is that you can sing nearly any nursery rhyme to the tune of Black Sabbath's Iron Man. That's been useful to me. I also learned that the book Hop on Pop is a crime against humanity. I actually had to see a specialist because of that book. I mean, what's next, hit daddy with a shovel? I also learned that the drink boxes were created by people who hate parents. They take this fluorescent colored liquid that is more staining than any ink known to man, they put it in this flimsy little box that squirts with the slightest provocation. Then they put a straw in it, which helps to extend the range of destruction. <laughs> then they instruct you to give that to toddlers and let hilarity ensue. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that drink boxes were invented by the dry cleaning industry. Another thing I learned about children is that they reflect back to you your own behavior. One time Benny watched me do some repairs on our porch. I was putting a new wooden ceiling into the porch. It was challenging work. I kept bumping my head on the panels as I was trying to hold them up and nail them in place. And that's where Benny learned his first swear words. Um, and Katie, she's three, she's our littlest. Um, she, because she's the littlest, of course she wants to run the house. So she tries to use a tough voice, kind of like a little mafia boss. It's like a little, Mafia boss who's been inhaling helium, so it's sort of like an elf mafia, but it, so it's cute. But I realize, you know, there's some challenges to having a child who wants to run the house. But ultimately, I think that um, this will mean she's strong-willed and will not let people push her around. I can imagine someday she'll have a job where uh, somebody wants to keep her to keep a secret set of books or something illegal, and she's not going to go along with it. I know this because one time we ran out of her favorite cereal and I brought a different one to her without saying anything and she said to me, I am sick and tired of this nonsense. 
So, so I know that she's, she's not going to put up with things for people. This is mostly good, although I do think it'll backfire on me when I'm in a nursing home someday and I try to convince her to sneak candy bars into me past the nutritionist. I don't think that's going to go well. But there are moments where I hear Benny playing some Chopin or Bach or Beethoven at the piano with complete focus and sincerity. Or when I get down to Katie's eye level and she describes the world to me. And those moments are magic. They make me feel hopeful about the world, about the future. So no, parental love isn't like books or movies, not like television. It's juice box stained, it smells of diapers, it's, it's a minivan with no rear visibility. But the bottom line is, it's about love. Please join me now in the spirit of prayer or meditation as is your practice. Spirit of love that surrounds us this beautiful July morning, we feel the sacred holiness in the air around us, in the warmth of the sun, and simply by being next to those in our beloved community. We are blessed. We are blessed by each other. And yet, we know there are those much in need of our love. It is our responsibility to the holy to take that love from this room, from these hearts, and spread it out into our world, which is hurting and in need of our compassion and our action. Amen, and blessed be. Our reading this morning is from the Reverend Patrick T. O'Neill, who is minister of the First Unitarian Congregational Society of Brooklyn, New York. Among the most accomplished and fabled tribes of Africa, no tribe was considered to have warriors more fearsome or more intelligent than the mighty Maasai. It is perhaps surprising then to learn that the traditional greeting that passed between Maasai warriors, Kasarian Ingara, Kasarian Ingara, one would always say to another. It means, and how are the children? It is still the traditional greeting among the Maasai, acknowledging the high value that they have always placed on their children's well-being. Even warriors with no children of their own would always give the answer, all the children are well. Meaning, of course, that peace and safety prevail, that the priorities of protecting the young, the powerless, are in place. The Maasai society has not forgotten its reason for being, its proper functions and responsibilities. All the children are well means that life is good, 
It means that the daily struggles for existence do not preclude proper caring for their young. I wonder how it might affect our consciousness of our own children's welfare if in our culture we took to greeting each other with this daily question. And how are the children? I wonder if we heard that question and passed it along to each other a dozen or more times per day if it would begin to make a difference in the reality of how children are thought of or cared about in our own country. I wonder if every adult among us, parent and non-parent alike, felt an equal weight for the daily care and protection of all the children in our community, in our town, in our state, in our country. I wonder if we could truly say without hesitation, the children are well. Yes, all the children are well. What would it be like if the minister began every worship service by answering the question, and how are the children? If every town leader had to answer the question at the beginning of every meeting, and how are the children? Are they all well? Wouldn't it be interesting to hear the answers? What would it be like? I wonder.
I've got a babe, but shall I keep him? The song you just heard was by Rhiannon Ginns. It's called At the Purchaser's Option. It's a song based on a true event. Rhiannon was going through some materials from slave, slave times in our country. And she found an ad. It was a sale of a young woman, 22 years old. It said she was strong, a hard worker. It also mentioned as an aside that she had a nine-month-old baby who could either be sold with her or discarded at the purchaser's option. Imagine the life of this mother and child in an uncertain place, their fate controlled by the person with the most money. The lyric says, you can take my body, you can take my bones, you can take my blood, but not my soul. 42,000 children were taken into slavery during, during that era in our country's history. Thank God something like that cannot happen today. Or can it? 42,000 children in slavery. 47,000 children were taken into custody at the southern border in 2017. The youngest was four months old. Now, the Constitution recognizes the right of asylum to refugees. So, these people are honoring our Constitution when they come here and apply for asylum. But the White House officials cited the Bible in justifying their actions. Specifically, they cited Romans 13 which states, obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. This is the exact same biblical passage that was cited during the Civil War to justify slavery and to pull children from their parents. At the end of 2017, it was reported that 1,475 of the children in custody were misplaced. And the documentary uh, program Frontline did research and found that several of the children were accidentally released to human traffickers. The people who remain in custody are in unsanitary and unsafe conditions that would violate the Geneva Convention if these were prisoners of war. Six children have died in custody. The White House is saying it will take two years to return them to their parents. And this is being done in our names. So what do we do? We can speak up, protest, vote, donate to the American Civil Liberties Union. You'll see in your order of service that there's a protest scheduled for this coming week. And the American Civil Liberties Union is suing our government for the rapid return of these children to their parents. It's upsetting enough that children are ripped from their parents' arms for an uncertain future just by itself, that moment. But the research tells us that when a child is, is, is taken from their caretakers early on, this is the phase when they're learning their identity, their sense of what to expect from the world and how to cope in the world. When you disrupt that, it creates lifelong problems. Emotional, psychological, physical, and social problems that can last a lifetime. So I'm going to quote Frederick Douglass. Many of you have heard of him. He's been doing a lot of good things lately. He said, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken adults. 
And we can't just stop there. We can do our part. We can protest. We can donate money. But we also have to think about the children in our own families and our own communities. What is the perception? Who are these kids today? Here's what we're told. Kids today are the spoiled, entitled, self-centered product of helicopter parents who do nothing but stare at their smartphones, engage in questionable behaviors on social media, and expect a trophy just for showing up. Consider this quote. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. You know who said that? Socrates, 2,400 years ago. <laughs> so if you buy into that story of the spoiled children, you are part of a long tradition of misunderstanding and un underestimating our children's youth. So who are these kids really? Well, for one thing, these are kids who face unprecedented challenges. They're the first generation to grow up doing active shooter drills in school. They're the first to face the undeniable effects of climate change that will take effect in their lifetime. They're the first to need higher education in order to compete in the global market, and yet the education is becoming less and less affordable. And many of them are growing up in the shadow of the opioid crisis where our foster care system is overwhelmed with the numbers of children because the parents are no longer able to care for them. And are kids getting dumber? That's always what people say, these kids. They just don't get it, they're not so bright. Well, let's talk about IQ scores. Here's how you calculate an IQ score. You study a huge number of people, see their scores on different uh, questions, and you find the average, you call that 100. And then you gauge everyone else in relation how many, how many numbers before or after that 100 they are, and that's the IQ score. Well, there's something called the Flynn effect, which means that since the 1930s, when IQ score tests were first developed, They've had to keep nudging that 100 further and further up because every generation is significantly smarter than the one before it. If you don't believe me, do you ever ask a kid to fix your cell phone or fix something on your computer? There's a reason for that. The Pew Research Center says that kids today are less racist and less homophobic than any generation studied. High school dropout rates are significantly reduced in children. Kids are, re are enrolling in college at vastly higher rates. And were we really smarter than the these kids? I would challenge you to look back at your high school yearbook. Are you wearing bell bottoms? Do you have a big 80s perm? Maybe you had a grunge costume you were wearing? And what did you do as a child? Did you sleep on that little shelf in the back window of the car on long car trips? Did you ever throw jarts in the air just to see where they're gonna land? Those used to be our toys. Now those are weapons of mass destruction you can't even buy. Or, let me tell you this personal story. When I was a kid, my dad bought a snowmobile. And with it, he bought a crash helmet. And he proudly told me, this crash helmet can withstand 2,000 pounds of pressure without breaking. And I thought, now that's Superman ter territory there. So when one of my friends was over, I put on the helmet and I gave him an aluminum baseball bat. And I said, hit me as hard as you want and it won't even hurt. And I'm not gonna lie to you, I don't remember how that story ends. Uh, I kind of vaguely picture waking up in the driveway by myself sometime later and my friend off 
packing his belongings for a life on the run from the law. But I, I can't honestly say that I know what occurred after that. So let's not judge the kids of today until we think of our own mistakes at those ages. The kids of today are gonna to have to save us from our own mistakes. Are they up to that challenge? Let's look at a few. Greta Thunberg is a teenager. She's one of the leading voices in climate change in the world. People often say they see her speak and they feel a sense of hope. Well, this is what she says about hope. The one thing you need to know more than hope is we need action. Once we, ha once we start to act, hope is everywhere. So instead of looking for hope, look for action. Then, and only then, will help hope come. Or think of the Parkland High School kids who survived a shooting and watched their friends die. They rose up to be the most articulate voices in speaking about gun control. And they did this despite conspiracy theories, mockery on conservative media, and death threats. Consider the case of Easton LaChapelle. Easton was a, one of those kids who liked to go to science fairs, exhibit things he developed. One day he went to a science fair and there was a, a girl there who only had one arm. She was born with only one arm. And she had a prosthetic arm that was essentially a hunk of plastic with a hook on it. He asked her about it because he was a curious kid. And she explained that they have some fancier ones, but none of them are really all that good and they're very expensive. So he started developing his own designs for prosthetic arms. His first model was made of Legos and fishing wire. But by the age of 16, he had a 3D printer and a lot of design ideas. He came up with the best prosthetic arm ever developed. And it's controlled by thought. So, Easton, that kid's gonna be a CEO, right? He's gonna become a billionaire, run a big company. Now, Easton put his designs on the internet so anybody could download them for free. That's the generation that's coming up behind us. But we have to do our part. We can't just sit back and wait for the kids to save us. We have to model healthy behaviors for them. We have to nurture the good in them. We can't predict the social, economic, or political trends that might lie ahead, but we teach kids to adjust and adapt to whatever they encounter in life. Well, that's easier said than done, isn't it? How do you do that? Well, you could teach them about the inherent wealth and dignity of every person. Teach them about the justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Teach them about the acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth. Teach them about the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Teach them about the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process. Teach them about the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Teach them about respect for the interdependent web of existence of which we all are a part. Somebody should really start a church based on those ideas. I would totally speak in front of that church like that. So I want to end with some words of wisdom, but I never thought of myself as all that wise, so I'm going to quote Greta Thunberg. She said, we can't save the world by playing by the rules because the rules have to change. Everything has to change and it has to start today. 
You may note in your order of service and as beautifully seated in his sermon by Mike Havansek that we have a special offering today for the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, whose mission is to defend and preserve individual rights and liberty guaranteed by the Constitution and laws of the United States, not just for us, but for our children also. The offering will now be gratefully received. Thank you to Ben Havansek, to Sarah Smith, Mark Alender, um, and to Abby Curris for their contributions to our music this morning. We are most appreciative. Our closing words today are by Confucius. He's also been doing a lot of good things lately. <laughs> Mostly posting internet memes. <laughs> he said, if you're planning for one year, plant rice. If you're planning for 10 years, plant trees. If you're planning for 100 years, educate children. Go in peace. Amen.